Welcome, podcasters, to Mr. Stroud's History Class. And we're going to do today, we're going to do the last of the tribes I want to talk about in prehistoric Texas. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Let's say you're on a picnic. Can you think of one word that someone could tell you on that picnic that would scare the daylights out of you? Might make you drop your peanut butter sandwich? Can you think of one word? Just one. I know you can, but I'm going to offer one. You're sitting there enjoying the picnic with your friends, and one of your friends says this word, snake. Would that scare you? You want to try another one? Spatter. Let's do snake. I'm going to tell you another word. If you go back in time, you go back to Texas in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, I'm going to tell you another word that would scare you even more than snake. You ready? Comanche. That scare you, podcaster? You know why, don't you? It's not then. The Comanche were the most terrifying Indians that you did not want to meet. The Sioux? Nothing compared to the Comanche. So the last tribe I'm going to lecture on, of course, are the Comanche. And as I've done with the other tribes, we're going to get back to the basics. What do they call themselves? You know, you know, Debbie, you know, the people, the people. Oh, but you say we met other people. Oh, no, no, no. We are the real humans. We're the real humans. So where did the word Comanche come from? What did I tell you once? Most of these tribe names that we know today were names given to them by their enemy. Comanche originally was Comat. Comat. K-O-M-A-T-H. That word came from the Ute, U-T-E. Who were the Ute? You know a state called Utah? You seen the University of Utah? They are the fighting Utes. The fighting Utes. Get on the computer and Google the fighting Utes and look at the football team and look at their helmet. The Utes, Kumat, Kumat. And what did that mean? Enemy. Enemy. I don't understand. Enemy? And you clarify that. Those who are always against us? The Kumat. Those who are always against us. We now call them Comanche. Ironically, back before the horse, the horse brought over here by the, the Spaniards, the horses down in Mexico, New Mexico, some Apache raid the, get the horses. Over the years, the horses get loose. Out on the Great Prairie, they multiply before the horse. The weakest of the tribes on the Great Plains was the Comanche. 
They come down from the mountains in Colorado on the Great Plains to get the buffalo. And the other tribe would attack them and run them back. But then one day, one day, a Comanche came back into camp riding a pony, a horse. Now when I say horse, we got to get out of your mind. I know you're still remembering the beer-drinking buffalo. When I say horse, what's in your mind? Probably the horses we have today. These horses were ponies. They were small compared to the horse today. They were ugly, long-haired, but podcasters, they were made for the Great Plains. That's the horse that the Comanche came riding in on. And those Comanche got on that horse, and I will tell you that it's going to change history. There's not an analogy in today, America, that I can give you to explain what that horse did for the Indian, and especially the Comanche. The closest would be the car, the automobile. The Comanche are going to be the toughest warriors on the Great Plains, bar no tribe at all. Why? I've always believed this. They tried harder. When they were not able to fight with you on foot and they got that horse, they tried harder. No tribe adapted to fighting on horseback the way the Comanche did. I'm going to tell you something, podcaster. This is going to be unbelievable, but I'm going to tell you something. Most of history is unbelievable. Regardless of the Hollywood movies, I have read in great history books about the Comanche. They were the only tribe that actually fought on horseback. I'm going to say that again because you didn't believe me. You didn't hear you. Yes, the only tribe that actually fought on horseback. Other tribes rode to the battle. Now there were coaches in the old days that were just great, great, great coaches. Dan Royal of the Texas Longhorns. What are you going to do in the game today, Mr. Royal? We're going to dance with who brung us. If you're a running team, you're going to run. You're a passing team, you're going to pass. The Indians who'd always defeated the Comanche, they fought on foot. Comanche were on horseback. When they got on that horse, they start coming down from those mountains onto the Great Plains. Now, how many Comanche were there? People, if you have a car wreck and there's 10 witnesses, how many different stories are you going to have? I'm going to give you a number. And you're going to read, if you get into this, you're going to read more than what I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to go with a number from the book, The Indians of Texas. How many Comanche were there? No more than 5,000. Divided into 10 bands, B-A-N-D-S, that never once came together as a tribe. I'm going to give the names of a few of these bands just because we do know them. And later on, I'm going to talk to you about names. But these were some of the names, okay? Honey Eaters. Buffalo Eaters. 
Yeps. Yeps. Wasp. Antelope. The wondrous. The wondrous. They came down onto the Great Plains and they would defeat every tribe they ran into or had the misfortune of attacking the Comanche. Now, the way I would tell my students when it was face-to-face in Texas history, they're going to go window shopping. They're going to start in the northern part of the Great Plains, and they're going to look for the very best one, the very best part, and they found it. And that best part becomes a large area, millions and millions of acres called Comanchero. It goes from about central Texas all the way up into Oklahoma, but that did not mean that that's where they're going to be and did not go anywhere else. They were Comanche. They followed the buffalo. They went wherever they wanted to. But if you run into Comanche and Comanchero, you better watch it. They were the best horsemen that I'm going to just go as far as saying that existed anywhere in the world. No one was better. Maybe somewhere somebody was equal, but no one was better than those Comanche. Now, as we've done with the others, I'm going to have a boy born and bring him up. And I'm going to remind you, ladies, it was a man's world. And why was it a man's world? I see you. You are moving your lips because you know, if you remember the very first lecture when I told you that I'm going to tell you things that are unbelievable and you're going to ask yourself why there's one word that answers everything and what was that word? Survival. Survival. So when a baby was born, it was a boy that's going to be more ceremony. It did not mean they did not love their daughters. They did. But the survival from a little boy is going to be much quicker. Because when he's 16, he's going to become a warrior. Little girl, when she's 14, she's going to get married. Hopefully have a baby soon that will be a little boy, and you got to wait another 16 years. Courtney, do the math. The boy. When he was born, the first thing you're going to do, of course, is name him. Now, if you listen to the Kiowa, it's going to be very similar. What are we going to name the little boy? It's going to be important. Remember I told you with the Kiowa? It's going to be important, one of the most important things, because when Shakespeare said a rosemary name, I Comanche would have told you that is not correct. You call a rose a cactus, and now you try to smell it. It's amazing. We've all heard jokes about how Indians got their name. We've heard that. I'm going to tell you one. If you want to hear the standard joke about it, Indians get their name, how do they do it? You ask someone, I'm not going to tell you. But what I'm going to tell you again is no matter how ridiculous something sounded, if you say, well, that's what the Indians believed, all of a sudden people stop laughing. Really? Yes, for some reason, Indians could believe the most ridiculous things, but we just actually believe that they... Indian children were given the names the way we give names to our youth, our babies, our newborn. What are we going to name them? 
They didn't have many children and because the name was so important, you don't want to mess up. And so with no guarantees in life, the closest you could get to a guarantee was go to a great warrior and podcasters, they knew who the great warriors were. I guarantee you that. And ask him to name them. Okay, here we go. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to have to repeat it twice. We will probably never, ever know what the real name of the Indians were. I'm going to say that again. We will probably never, ever know what the real name of the Indians were. Now, I hear you right now. Oh, oh, Mr. Stroud, you have messed up. Raise your hand if you can name three Indians from the old days. Two, one. You ready? Sitting Bull. Crazy Horse. Dragon Canoe. Red Jacket. Peanuts. Shaking Hands. I went a bit too far, didn't I? And see, you're saying, we told you, Mr. Stroud, we told you. You just said what their real names were, Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Peanuts, Peanuts. One more time, thrice, and that's enough. We will probably never, ever know what their real names were. Because all you bilingual podcasters, trilingual, and all the linguals put together, there are some names that just cannot be translated. I'm going to remind you of the German from East Germany back when that city was divided, that country was divided, and East Berlin came to Texas, and my brother brought her to Kilgore, and they rode around, and she came back laughing so hard she got tears in her eyes. And I asked my brother what's so funny, and he said she saw the name of a store, she's been laughing ever since. But it makes her sad because when she gets back to Germany, she's going to think of the name of that store. She's going to start laughing and her German friends are going to say, you know what they're going to say. What's so funny? And say, I can't tell you because the name of this store cannot be translated into German. You remember what it was, podcaster? Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly. So you have to come up with something similar. I'm going to go a little bit further with these names. I'm I'm going to use a real example. In 1854, the United States government is going to have a treaty with a great Sioux nation. It's called the Fort Laramie Treaty. And what they needed was someone who could talk to the Indians in languages that they could understand. And they got a frontiersman by the name of Fitzpatrick. The Indians knew him. He got in a fight with a grizzly bear and he came out on the short end of the stick, but he was lucky because he lived. But his right hand had been mangled. So the Indians just called him Broken Hand. So Broken Hand told them about the treaty and what they were going to get if they signed. And they agreed to do it. When I get to that part in podcasting, I will give you more detail on that treaty, people. 
Alright, get ready. I've only seen one movie. One movie. That showed the real way Indians signed treaties. I know what you're thinking. Oh, they came up, they could not write their name, so they signed with an X. An X? You can make an X and you can't write? How do you make an X? They go to the X-making teepee? Little two feathers. I don't expect you to write your name, but I do expect you to make an X, so we're going to send you the X-making teepee. Podcaster, if you can't write, you can't make an X. So how do they sign the treaty? The only movie that I've ever seen that showed the way they signed the treaty was burying my heart at Wounded Knee. And this is the way they did it. They call it touching the treaty pin. You get a man sitting there with this treaty, and you're going to have to have so many chiefs, chiefs sign it. Go back to the Indian. The Sioux. Who's your chief? Oh, he might say, you see Spotted Horse? We listened to him today. Tomorrow, we might listen to Buffalo Bull. And the next day, we don't listen to anyone. We're free people. But the Americans want these chiefs. So to satisfy them, they had Sioux, they called paper chiefs. So when there was a treaty, the paper chiefs went up to sign the treaty. So you got somebody sitting there at a table with a quill pen and the treaty. And the first Sioux warrior walks up. And the man who can speak Sioux, because the Indian is not going to speak English. They believed to be bilingual was disgraceful. You want to speak to me, they said? You speak in my language. I'm not going to learn yours. So you had a man who knew English, he knew how to write, he knew how to spell, and he knew Sue. So he asked this warrior, what is your name? Because I'm going to have to write him. And the warrior said this. Hang on, podcaster. I'm such a good horse thief that all the young men in the enemy tribes had better be afraid because I'm going to steal their horses. What? I'm such a good horse thief that all the young men in the enemy tribes had better be afraid because I'm going to steal their horses. Podcaster. What's wrong with that name? Several thoughts. That sounds like a criminal rap sheet. Secondly, I can't write all of that down on this line here. And so the man who has to write that down on the little line on this treaty at Fort Laramie shortened it up and wrote, Young Man Afraid of His Horses. Podcaster. Is that his name? Eventually, eventually, they shortened it to Young Man Afraid. And eventually, just Man Afraid. Man afraid of what? I guess everything. He just. 
I'm going to say it again. Using that young man afraid of his horses as an example, we will probably never know what the real names of these Indians were. But there's another one. Do you think that everyone asking that Indian warrior what his name is liked Indians? You think that, podcaster? They didn't. That Indian is never going to see what you write down. He's never going to know what you wrote down. That's the one thing you could do. I'm going to take that name and I'm going to write, I'm going to write down a name that is going to be humorous, it's going to be funny, it's going to be humiliating. Because when it's published in the newspapers in the East, people are going to giggle, giggle out loud when they see this name. And that Indian will never, ever know. What name would that be? I'm going to give you a few names. I'm not making these names up. If you go to a book, Son of the Morning Star, S-O-N, Son of the Morning Star, about the Battle of the Little Bighorn, Custer's Kill. You get close to the back. I don't remember the page number. And they will give you the names of about 38 Indians that were killed in that battle. And I would take that book in. And I would simply read the names to the class. That's all I did. And in listening to those names, everything I just told you is made clear. And I don't have that book in front of me. But I remember a few names. But I'm going to give you a few names. Okay? Touch the clouds. Touch the clouds. Chased by owls. Chased by owls. Lame white man. Lame white man. And I'm going to give you one more. If you think I'm making this up, you go find the book, Son of the Morning Star. And you find the names of those killed at the Little Bighorn. You ready? Hang on, podcaster. Wreck them. Wreck them. What? Wreck them. You think of everything I just told you. Do you literally think that a great warrior decided to name this young boy Rectum? Or did he? We will never know what the real names of these Indians were. And podcasters, that goes with the names of the bands. If you go to another book, there's two books on the Comanche, and that are just tremendous. One is T.R. Fehrenbach, Comanche. <clears throat> the other is Empire of the Southern Moon. You go to Fehrenbach's book, and you start reading about the names of the bands. And in podcasters, there are some names I would never, ever, ever tell students. I would just tell, if you want to know what I won't tell you, you go find Fehrenbach's book 
And in the very beginning, not the very first page, but at the beginning, the pre-horse days, you'll see the names of some of those bands. You'll see what I'm talking about. And you remember everything I just told you. So the boy is born. He's given a name. I've always called him Two Feathers. But Mr. Stroud, you said they could not count. They can't. So why Two Feathers? Because when he gave his name, someone who could count just shorted it down and said, okay, he's Two Feathers, he's Two Feathers. Real Comanche warrior. That when we get to the podcast much further down the line than this, who gave one of the most beautiful speeches any Indian ever gave. He was a Comanche. That's the name of the little Comanche boy. Now, podcaster, these Indians we're talking about on the Great Plains in America, they did not have many children. Childbirth was dangerous. So what I'm going to give you is this. If, if, you had more than one. If you had, if, if, if. This is the way it was. The little boy, Two Feathers, disciplinarian, was his older sister. If you had an older, she's the disciplinarian, not the mother and the dad, the older sister, disciplinarian. I can just see minds turning now. Every little Indian boy that was a Comanche or a Kawa or they wanted to be nothing more than a great warrior. I'm going to emphasize that again. They wanted to be a great, great warrior. They dreamed of it. The Comanche were good at war. And podcasters, I think you know you are good at what you like. You're better at what you just love. And for survival, they were brought up to love war. Now, I'm not going to tell you much about being in the Marine Corps in Vietnam and all that. Maybe we get down the road. I might tell you a little bit about it when we get to Vietnam. But I will tell you this. In the Marine Corps that I was in, we were taught to love war. There was a saying we had to repeat. Pray for war. Peace is hell. In boot camp, out loud, every night, the drill instructors made us yell our prayer. Dear Lord, give us a war. And I will never forget But one day before we went to the rifle range, the drill instructor said he had a guest he wanted us to listen to. It was a first sergeant that had been in World War II and in the Korean War. And on his chest were ribbons. Now, I'm not going to go into what the ribbons are. Uh, Every medal has a ribbon, but not every ribbon has a medal. I remember seeing Purple Heart. I remember seeing a Silver Star. And I remember this first sergeant telling us that he hoped and prayed that we would have the wonderful experience of going to war. And he got so emotional 
his eyes wet. He wanted us to have that same experience. I think about him every time I hear these people say, the ones who won't war the least are the ones that have been there. Well, not this first sergeant. We Marines were taught that you want to go to war and people, there are stories. So with a Comanche, they had to be the best at it because their whole survival depended on it. So little two feathers is brought up that want nothing more than to be a great warrior. Now some of you podcasters probably have children. And as they're growing up, they're not all perfect all the time, no matter how much you love them. You have to, same way with little two feathers. So the analogy that I use is the sister opens the flap to the teepee and walks in and little two feathers is play. Two feathers, you stop doing that. And two feathers looks at her and she looks at him and she kneels down and she grabs him by the arms and looks in his face and says, do you want to be a great warrior when you grow up? Oh, he nods. Yes, 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 yes. You want to be as good a warrior as your father? Oh, yes, I want to be a good warrior like my father. Your father's a great warrior. Yes, he is. Have you ever seen him playing in the fire? Oh, he shakes his head. You know why? Great warriors never play in the fire. That's called an example. But no, little Comanche is not a little boy. And so a few weeks later, the older sister comes in the lodge, and there he is playing on the fire again. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? Have you seen football games where the winning team won the Super Bowl, won the and the, somebody throws Gatorade all over that coach? Ugh, nice. If two feathers is playing in that fire again, she got a bucket of cold water and she threw it on him. Now, podcasters, I don't know what you're thinking when I'm telling you this. But one thing I'm not telling you is that they spanked him. Very seldom ever did they spank him. But boys will be boys, as they say, and Two Feathers has done it again. The example didn't work. Cold water did not work. So now it was the ultimate. The sister goes to the old man. And I'm going to just tell you the way I read it, people. Goes to an old, ugly man. And I always wondered if that old man that she went to knew that he was picked because he was ugly. And she says to him, Two feathers is out of control. I cannot keep him from playing in the fire. I used the example of his father, the great warrior. I threw cold water on him, and he's playing in that fire again. Would you go over and take care of this? The podcasters. When she turned over the disciplinary to this old man, she cannot ever say, I did not mean for you to do that. No, sir. It's out of her hands. Whatever he chooses to do, she cannot say a word about. Now, I can just imagine what's going through your minds. But I want to remind you, you had to be there. So here's little two feathers. He's playing in the fire, and all of a sudden he hears that teepee flap open, 
and he turns around, and what does he see? This ugly old man looking at him, and that ugly old man says, I'm going to skin you alive, and then I'm going to eat you. Podcaster. That would be terrifying. Because you're not sure that this is just not an analogy. And Two Feathers jumps up from that fire and he takes off running. Don't eat me. Don't skin me. Don't eat me. I'll never play in fire again. I'll never, never, never. The older sister's the one that got all this done. A Comanche and a horse were like one thing. Before they could walk, those Comanche boys were on horses. Riding behind their father, riding behind their mother. And soon they were riding all by themselves. They said that a Comanche would get on a horse when he woke up in the morning and he would stay on that horse and he went to bed at night. That he had to travel 20 yards, he rode a horse, he did not walk. They were like one. And so the little boys are going to grow up riding horses and they're going to be encouraged to play. Play with the other little boys. And what are you going to play? War. You play war. I'm going to tell you what they did. They got on their horses. And they went just back, you know, maybe out on the Great Plains. They might be like a mile. And about a half a mile, they put down objects. These could be like a rock the size of a baseball. And so we're going to have this mile race, half a mile, little object, this rock about the size of a baseball. To win this race, you had to get across the finish line first, but you had to have that object with you. And someone said, go in Comanche, and off they went, people. When they saw that object and they were getting close to it, they would hang on to the mane of that horse with their left hand, hook their legs around that belly, and they would lean over and pick that object up. When they got where they could do that without any problem, they put down a tomahawk. They'd lean over, scoop that tomahawk up. Podcaster. You know what they're learning to do and why they're learning to do this. Called battle. Then they put down a lance. And then, hang on. And before I tell you what they did now, I'm going to tell you the mistake that's made over and over and over and over, especially in war. When you see the enemy, and you understand the enemy, because the enemy you think is like you, you have made a serious mistake. There's one example after another. Well, if you do this to them, they'll stop fighting. Why? I assume because if they did that to me, I'd stop fighting. When I get to those parts in history, I'm going to tell you exactly what they were. When you see the enemy as you, you're making a serious mistake. And so, Mr. Stroud, what are you about to tell us? 
I'm about to tell you this. The last thing they put down there was another Comanche. So to get to win that race, you better cross that finish line with that other Comanche on your horse. So as you're approaching the Comanche, if you stop and help that Comanche get on your horse, you're going to be so far behind, they're going to laugh at you. Here we go. As you're riding and you see that Comanche standing there, you're going to get that Comanche on your horse without even slowing down. How are you going to do it? I've not seen this. This is what happens. I have seen things and I have done things that I can use to understand how that Comanche got that other Indian on his horse. Two things. Before the Navy had this group called the SEALs, what the SEALs stand for, sea, air, and land, they had frogmen, UDT, underwater demolition team. I've seen movies, newsreels, where the frogmen would be bobbing in the water, and here comes this rubber boat, like a huge raft, with a motor on the back, like a speedboat, and they're coming to pick up those frogmen. And one person in that rubber raft has this big hoop, and he holds it out to the side of that boat, and without slowing down, that boat came by that bobbing frogman who had his arm, and he hit that loop, and all of a sudden, with the momentum, that loop and that frogman would swing up and get in that boat. When I was in the Corps, they had this thing that made us do about every three months if you weren't in combat. There were five events we had to do. The last of which was run three miles in combat gear in about 38 minutes, which we could do. But one was to pick up a wounded Marine on a battlefield and carry him to safety. Raise your hand if you saw a movie Forrest Gump. You remember how Forrest was going back in there looking for Lieutenant Dan? He got Lieutenant Dan now trying to find Bubba. He was carrying those people out. It's called the fireman carry. And so one of the things, and we got to run down there, and we got to pick him up in the fireman's carry and bring him back, and you got, what, a minute, two minutes, whatever. And so we tell that other Marine, you help me. If you don't help me, I'm not going to help you. So you run down there, you kneel down, grab the collar of his shirt, pull him up, now he's got to help you, and then you put your arm under him, and you throw him up on your back, on your shoulder, and here, you got to have a little help. And so as that Comanche warrior is riding down, that other one is standing up. You put your arm out like that Navy frogman. And that warrior on the ground is going to hit that arm and you're going to throw him up on that horse behind you without slowing down. All of this is for one thing. In battle, if you drop a weapon, you can pick it up. And if there's a Comanche that's dehorsed, you can pick him up. And podcasters, when that happened in battle and that war party came back, 
you knew what Indian had been dehorsed and which one had saved him because that Indian is riding behind the warrior that saved him. I told this to a class, Texas History, years ago. I just told them what I just told you. And this cowboy sitting on the back row with his desk leaning back against the wall with a big wad of tobacco in his mouth said, that's impossible. Now this is going to take longer than it did in class. What did I just tell you that when you see other people as you, you made a mistake? And so in less time than it took me to tell you what I just told you, I said to him, you're not a Comanche. You're not a Comanche. Later on, I've told that story. Had cowboys at rodeo come up and said, now they have something called the Comanche ride, where they do something similar to that. They were the best horsemen that America ever saw. And I do not think there was any horseman in the world better than the Comanche. Anybody see the movie the Horse Whisperer? The Horse Whisperer? Did you read the book? I saw the movie, then I read the book. The Comanche had the largest herds of any Indians on the Great Plains. Great Sioux Warriors, I read, may have an individual herd of 20 to 30, 35 horses. Comanche? 200. 300. Unbelievable. How did they break that horse? These are wild ponies. I read in only one book, Empire of the Summer Moon. The Comanche would approach the horse, the wild horse, with a rope loop, rodeo calf roping. He'd loop that horse. He'd pull that rope tight around that horse's neck and that horse all of a sudden trying to get away and he would start twisting that rope until he started strangling that horse. And as that horse is being strangled, it gets weak and it falls to its knees and you keep strangling that horse and it falls over. And while holding that rope tight and strangling that horse, that warrior would kneel down by its head and with the free hand, he would start petting that horse and he would whisper into that horse's ear. What's he whispering, podcaster? I don't know. And then, he slackened that rope. And that pony starts breathing. That pony jumps up. And that Comanche got on the back of that pony and he rode wherever he wanted to go. They loved their horses, podcaster. They gave them names. They loved those horses. They were the finest horsemen I believe the world had ever seen. And then when little Two Feathers gets about 16 years of age, he's going to become a man. And becoming a man means he's going to become a warrior. He's going to do it very similar to the way the Kiowa did it. He's going to go out on a vision quest. 
Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. You go back, re-listen to the Kiowa podcast about the stick turning into a snake and all that. I'm going to do it very similar. But there are some differences. What he's going to get is going to get strength and power from the supernaturals. Now, not all strength and power, which we call medicine, is equal. Some is more powerful than the others. With the Comanche, there was a group of supernaturals that would give you the most powerful medicine that you could get. And these were little people. And the book I read it in, they said about the size of leprechauns. How tall is a leprechaun? Foot and a half? I don't know. They were little warriors. You see them in your vision. They were the most powerful warriors that you never wanted to meet. They had little tiny bows and arrows. And if that warrior took a little bitty arrow and shot you in your little toe, you're going to die. You would die. And you talk about a real warrior to stand up to these little people. But podcaster, if you could do that, you're going to get medicine that is more powerful than anyone could ever even imagine. That was the most powerful. Unlike the other Indians, not all medicine is equal. So you may have a friend. And he knows your medicine is more powerful because you got it from this little warrior. Could I borrow some, he might ask. I'm going to war. Could I borrow? Comanche believed that medicine could be shared, but not more than seven. They can't count. I'm going to say it again. Not more than seven. Because then it became too deluded. Among the Comanche, the closest bond there was were between brothers. How close was this bond? To begin with, when that Comanche was about 12, he could move into a teepee all by himself. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to remind you. The Comanche knew what I'm going to tell you. Worst case scenario. When he was about 12, he moved into a teepee by himself. If his sister, you understand the three twos? Three twos? You mean six? No. I mean T-W-O, T-O, and T-O-O. The three twos. It's amazing how many people do not know the three twos. Worst case scenario, if your sister and you were a little Comanche boy and your little teepee became, which two are we talking about? T-W-O. Too close. Came to see you too often. The brother could kill her. The brother could kill her. The brother knew this. The sister knew this. And they knew that if you did this too often and too close, why? 
They were terrified of incest. How close were the brothers? If one brother was going to war and the other brother wasn't, the brother that did not go to war moved into the teepee of the brother who went to war and slept with his wife or wives. And if that brother was killed on the warpath, his wife or wives became the wife or wives of the brother who had stayed home and survived. That was the closest bond. You get the vision. You can go to war. And there was no one better. No tribe. From Jamestown in Virginia's teen night movement of the whites and the blacks that were with them as long as the Comanche. There was an artist by the name of George Gatlin. C-A-T-I-N, I believe is the way you spell his name. If you know me, Pod, I can't spell. But you can find him. And he went west and he painted the most beautiful portraits of Indians, Comanche, the Kiowa, you name them, the Sioux. And he was with his U.S. Dragoon unit, which was forerunner of the U.S. Cavalry, when they made first contact with the Comanche about 1832, and Gatlin painted that. You go to the book, T.R. Fehrenbach, or you look on the, on the Internet, you find that painting. And you will see those Comanche on those horses. And then you look at some of the sketches Gatlin made. Of those Comanche showing off their horse skills. 1832. And then about 1876, the Comanche defeated and put on a reservation. No tribe in American history withstood the westward movement as long as what I just told you. And there were more more than 5,000? They were tough podcasters. They were tough. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about how they went to war. Once more, anyone could lead a war party. What you did not have, except in the movies, was a wise old chief that would not let the young warriors go to war. And then in the movie, the wise old chief's son gets killed by the white men, and so with tears running down his face, he takes an arrow and he breaks it, and he lets those young men go to war, and they're all so happy. What did the Sioux say? We listen to him. The more we listen to him, the next day we don't listen to anyone. No one could tell you to go to war or not go to war in the Indians. War was personal. It was serious. Need I say, life or death? In America, Vietnam, you could get drafted. You went to war whether you wanted to or not. Not with the Indians. I'm going to remind you, the only Indian I ever read about that had to go on a major war party was the Koisinka of the Kabul. Anyone could lead a war party. Raise your hand, podcaster. I read a book called Catch-22, written by a bomber pilot after World War II. 
Catch-22 in the book was how you stopped having to fly bombing missions which would get you killed. Now you find Catch-22, you read it and you'll find out. It's very complicated in the book. The easiest way to understand a Catch-22 is to paraphrase it. You can't get a job without experience. You can't get experience without a job. What are you going to do? Anyone can lead a war party. But if you'd never led one before, then you're going to have an uphill climb, podcaster. But you could do it. And the way they did it was this. They simply walked through their band, and they would see one of their friends. I'm going on a war party against the Ute. I'm going to steal horses. I had a vision that told me to do this. Podcaster, if you had a vision to go to war, you could not get a better omen than that. And I want you to go with me. These tribes did not have many people. In the early days that I'm talking about, a Comanche war party may be no more than 10 or 12 warriors. You do the math. 5,000 divided by 10 old women, young women, old men, young boys. How many warriors? But before you went, you went on a war dance. The Comanche loved war so much that in this little band, there may be five, six, seven war parties getting ready to leave. You did not have five or six different war dances. You had one pole, one fire, and each war party did their dance around that fire one war party at a time. Podcaster, which came first, the car wreck or the stop sign? Back in the mythology of the Comanche, apparently there was a war party that left after sunrise. And something very bad happened. And it was so bad, the Comanche said, never again. Never again. So regardless of how many war parties there were, each war party had to dance, and the last war party had to leave before sunrise. The war party was not, I mean, excuse me, the war dance was not to give them courage. They had that. It is the closest thing I can think of in our society at the pep rally. I used to love to go to those pep rallies. I really liked them. Boy, you got all ready. But what did the team do? They told you how bad they were going to beat that team on Friday night. Or at Kilgore College on Saturday afternoon. They told you what they were going to do to that other That's what they did in the war dance. Those who were not going got to see how terrible you were going to treat that enemy. So you might take a war club, a tomahawk, and you might hit this enemy and give out a war cry, and then you scalp him, pretend, and you hold that scalp up, and the women watching that, oh my gosh, that is my boyfriend. And then they all knew about how long to do this because you had other war parties. Then they moved away from the fire, said goodbye to their wife or their sweetheart, and then they met the war leader. And the war leader, you got on your horse and you took off. Very soon after you left, the war party stopped. 
the war leader got his warrior sitting around the fire and he went one by one lone wolf I have known you since we were children I remember when you got your own teepee and I got my own teepee I remember that and you went on a vision quest before I did and I remember when you came back I remember that I knew you were going to be a great warrior. And I've heard stories about you on other war parties. And how great a warrior you are. I am so proud that you've come with me. Lone Eagle. I did not know you before I got my own lodge. But I've heard stories about you since. And you too are a great warrior. I am so grateful. He told each warrior how proud he was that had come with him. He is the war leader. He's under complete control of that war party. Podcaster? You can get killed in a war. With these Comanche, if a warrior had gone through the war dance and was with you and the war leader said how proud he was that you were with him and he said to that war leader I thought that this was the war party I needed to go on but now I know it's not I'm not going podcaster no Comanche ever told another Comanche that he was a coward or a sissy. It was too important. If you were not ready to go for whatever reason is private with you and we're not going to question it, we will see you when we get back. And no one thought less of him. But see, here you are thinking, but what if he never went? He always went through the dance. He always did that. But then he always changed his mind. I'm going to say one more time, podcaster. The greatest warriors on the Great Plains were the Comanche. To be the greatest warrior, you have to love it. You have to love it. If a Comanche did this, it is serious. And to have one that never went on a war party, I assume there could always be one or two, but I even doubt that. The Comanche never wanted to be caught by surprise. I hate to keep saying that when I was in the Marines, but I have to. There were things I learned there, podcasters, I did not think I would ever tell anyone because nobody ever needed to know why in the world would... Patrols. Wet point. Flank security, rear security. Vietnam, they weren't very far away because jungles are thick. Right. You ever been on the Great Plains, Podcaster? You leave Dallas and go west. Can you see a long way? The Comanche thought nothing of leaving Texas and going to Mexico and killing people in Mexico. 
That was like the drop of a feather. They went to Mexico and killed people and stole horses. They're on the Great Plains. And so in the old cavalry movies, when John Wayne would say, scouts out, and these two cavalrymen would come riding by, and what do we go? 100 yards in front? That's nothing. That's nothing. Comanche scouts, their point, half a day ride. You're not going to catch the Comanche by surprise. Now, there were times that a Comanche war party would run into another war party from another tribe. So I'm going to give you a couple of number figures, and you tell me, nod your head, yes or no. You got 12 Comanche warriors. They see a huge war party of 12 warriors. They're not counting. They can tell. They look at them. Would a Comanche war party of 12 attack the Ute war party of 12? Podcast, you're nodding your head. You're wrong. You shake it. No. No. But you said the Comanche were the greatest warriors. They were. But here's something that's different, people. In our military... All the casualties were light. Just light casualties. Oh, my gosh. Podcaster, if you're one of those light casualties, that's as heavy a casualty as you can get. Well, the kill ratio was so favorable. Not with Comanche. If one Comanche were killed, that war party is a failure. 12 and 12... The chances of not having a Comanche killed are virtually none. So the Comanche are going to retreat. Not a classroom. I would have this run up on the board. I could use my hands to show you. So I'm going to have to try to get it across. The Comanche war party would get on line. Going straight across, left or right. And that enemy war party would come charging into them. And that center of that line would break and pull back until you had the left and the right on each side of that enemy war party. You know, I got him in flanking fire. Now, if it didn't work out that way, you keep repeating until it did. And all of a sudden, when he attacked the center of that line and that line gave way and he's coming in, you've got Indian Comanche on the left and on the right and you wipe them out. If a Comanche war party went at a Ute war party had 10, no, you do not attack. War party 12 Comanche, 6 Ute, 6. You attack? No. Comanche aren't sissies. An enemy war party of 4, Comanche, you wipe them out now. They would not fight unless the odds were overwhelmingly on the side of the Comanche because you're not going to lose a Comanche. When you got to the enemy camp, I went to movies when I was young and one thing we all knew about Indians, they did not fight at night. No, they did not because then they would never find the happy hunting ground. The first podcast, I asked you if you knew what BS was. Bachelor of Science. 
Comanche preferred fighting at night. And so they'd come to the enemy camp. But they would stop, they'd find a hill, and they'd watch the movements of that camp for a while. And then when they're ready to attack, the war leader would do this. He would tell a couple of warriors, we know where the horse herds are kept, you go there and steal some of their horses, okay? And the others, here we go. They dismounted and they come walking toward the enemy camp. Any of you podcasters got a dog? When somebody comes walking up to the house, does that dog bark? Those dogs were kept by the Indians not only to eat, but also as night watchmen. So what does a Comanche war party do to quieten that dog? You ready? They throw buffalo to it. And that dog stops barking and starts eating. They can't wipe out that entire camp. They hit two or three teepees and they kill everybody in that teepee, podcaster. And then they leave. It's called hit and run. That Indians that just got attacked, they're coming after them. What you did not want as a Comanche is you did not want them catching you. And so this is what they're going to do. The Comanche would get back to their horses and they'd get on and they would take off. Now here come the enemy. They're on their horses. But you know what the enemy have not done? They've not acquired their vision strength. They've not had time to go through the ceremony and put the pain on. They're not prepared. And so not all of them are going to go. Some of them got to. We were attacked. So let's just use a couple of numbers. You got 12 Comanche warriors. They're riding their ponies as fast as they can. And so let's just use 12 enemy. They're coming after them. When the Comanches see these 12 are coming after them. Now all this has been practiced. They know this podcaster. They know this. The war leader gives a sign, a signal. And all of a sudden, six Comanche warriors go to the left and six go to the right. And now the pursuers have to make a decision. Do we divide like they did? Or do we all go after six? Let's just say they all go after six. These are Comanche, okay? They go after the six that turn to the right. And those six that turn to the right, they divide three go to the left and three go to the right. And now the pursuers have to make another decision. They've gotten further and further away from camp. Weren't prepared, didn't even have my war paint on. Some of them turned back. Now the pursuers, there's six of them. They go after these three Comanche that went over that little hill, and they come riding over that hill to kill those three Comanche, and guess what they found, podcaster? That entire war party had reassembled, and they killed them. Do not chase a Comanche. When they were coming back, when they were going out, they took a route that, well, we've got buffalo, we've got beautiful grass for the horses to eat. How many times have you seen in a movie a posse, somebody, stops at the edge of the desert and says, he's in the desert, I'm not going after him, he's going to die in that desert. 
That's how the Comanche came back. They would take the most dangerous route they could. And that meant coming across that desert. Comanche who did not go on that war party said that when these Comanche who did got back in many cases, they were almost starved to death. This is what they did. They're going across that desert. Why, is it a desert? It does not have water. Oh, I know you. It does not have water. So when you got thirsty, see, they took more than one horse. The boys would come along and take care of the horse herd. Hang on, podcaster. They cut the throat of that horse and drank its blood. When they got hungry, they ate horse. Pursuers did not come into that desert after them. Now, when I said they got back and they were almost starved, if five people tell you a story about, so here's the other thing too. When that war party got back, if it did not lose a warrior, it is a successful war party. And the way it is going to come in is this. Some warrior is going to go ahead in time to tell the camp a successful war party is getting ready to come in. Oh, can you control the excitement? Can you? Everyone in that little band is coming out. They are so excited a successful war party is coming back. And here it comes, people. You hear this war cry and that war party attacks this camp in mock attack. And your heart is just racing. You're so excited. And if you are a female and you see your husband or your boyfriend and he's riding and he's waving something around his head and you know what that is? That's a scalp. A bloody scalp. And he rides over to you, female podcaster, and he hands you that bloody scalp and you are so thrilled. Oh, my gosh. So, but what you're going to have to do with it, though, is you're going to have to take care of it. You're going to have to prepare it. And you're going to have to put it on a hoop, take the fleshy part, put it up next to the fire, and burn that off. And that's going to be his little souvenir. He rides around, and he also might pick you up and put you on the horse behind him. How thrilling that is to be riding with your boyfriend Waving that bloody scalp that he brought back. I told you when the little boys went through that race and they picked up. If you saved a Comanche that had been dehorsed, he's riding behind you. These victory dances went on sometimes for months. But podcaster, if you lost a Comanche or two, it's not the same. No one came into camp to warn you that the unsuccessful war party is coming. They did not ride in and mock attack. The warriors outside the camp made a little fire. And then they took the ashes of that fire and they put them all over their faces and their body. They did not ride their horses in. They walked in leading the horses behind them. And they were singing the death song. And that camp knew right then and there 
one at least Comanche were dead and not coming back. In the Second World War, most famous air group I'm aware of, 8th Air Force, B-17s, flying from England and bombing Germany. 300 would go. Six, seven hours later, they're coming back. If 300 left and 200 came back, you know what happened to the other 100, don't you? And they would watch. This camp watched that war party come in with the ashes all over their faces, singing death songs. And they were looking to see who was not among them. And when a wife or wives saw that the one was not among them, was their husband? Podcaster. She let out a shriek of horror that is unbelievable. And she took a knife and she started slicing herself, her belly, her breast. Then she would take that knife and she would put it in her elbow, the crook of her arm, and she would slice right down to the wrist. Hang on, podcaster. She would take one hand and put it on a log and start chopping fingers off. And when she couldn't hold the knife, she had someone else do it for her. Many times they died. If more than one Comanche were dead, it was an unbelievable sight of horror. And this wasn't just war, it was smallpox. What about the warrior? What about this brother that was dead? You cannot have a warrior mutilate himself. But to show his grief, they cut his hair short. The wife mutilated herself and died in many cases. The male didn't. They were the greatest warriors that ever rode the Great Plains. Who was their God? All we know about their God is his name. Our sure enough father. Our sure enough father. That's all we know. Warrior societies like the Kiowa? No. They had only one warrior society. And it was for the bravest warriors there were, and they were simply called the Crazy Warriors. And what did the Crazy Warriors do? All we know about the Crazy Warriors is they did everything backwards. Now, wait a minute, podcaster. If a crazy warrior was the best, they did everything backwards, then that would mean instead of attacking, they're retreating. You can carry this analogy up. This is what I believe. Once they were brought into the crazy warrior society, they did things backwards, but not everything, to show you they were now in the crazy warrior society. Two things. One of the courses I taught over the 39 years as at Kilgore was movie and history. And what I found is the young students never knew about some great movies. And I showed them these old movies that were great, and they liked them. So 
I would tell you when the times come about what movies are good, what. And in many cases, and I know this because some students borrowed my movies, they loved them. I'm going to tell you about a movie. Little Big Man. Little Big Man was a movie that came out during the Vietnam, at the end of the Vietnam War. I'll talk more about that. It was actually an anti-war movie, anti-Vietnam. But Dustin Hoffman was a young man. It was his second movie, I believe. His first was a graduate. You watch that movie, Little Big Man. You get it however you podcasters know how to do it. And you just remember the things I told you about Indians and you watch that movie. And I will tell you right now that when you see that, I am convinced that the player, that the person Dustin Hoffman is playing, he's BSing the people. But in that movie, you're going to see a warrior that did everything backwards. And I forget what it was in the movies. He, he was a contrary. He did, and he's gonna he's gonna wash himself with dirt. When he sees Dustin Hoffman, little big man, he's gonna say, "I'm glad to see you," which means I hate you. Among the Comanche, the crazy warriors. One woman said, "To a crazy warrior." I have no husband. He was killed in battle years ago. Would you kill me a buffalo? Oh, yes, the crazy warrior said, I will. And when the crazy warrior returned, he did not have a dead buffalo. He had a dead enemy warrior. And the woman said, Shucks, I should have remembered. I should have asked for a dead warrior. He'd have brought a buffalo. I believe that crazy warriors did things backwards every now and then just to remind you they were among the best. They were among the best. They were the best they ever were. Books, podcasters, Comanche by T.R. Fehrenbach, Empire of the Southern Moon. Rise and fall of the Comanche Nation. And I'm going to tell you, podcaster, what I do is I listen to the audio. It is magnificent. I will tell you this. I had a friend that tried to read that book. He said it was boring. I loaned him the audio. He could not wait to get back in the vehicle. So I suggest you get the audio. You find a way to get that audio. If not, read it. But I will tell you this, podcaster. You're going to read about some brutal stuff. You understand? You read that book or you listen to that book that you're going to know that there was really, really a saying on the frontier. If you fought in Indians, you saved the last bullet for yourself. You do not want to be captured. It is magnificent. Now, this is the last lecture I'm doing on the Indians. And all I've done is scratch the surface. If you have any interest, you go to the book, Indians of Texas by W.W. W. Newcomb. You read Comanche by Fehrenbach, Empire of the Southern Moon. 
And one last story in that in the class. I have a friend, and he told me his wife was Cherokee. I loaned him the audio, Empire of the Southern Moon. And when he brought it back to me, he said this, Mr. Stroud, my wife always said that she was Cherokee. But after listening to this book, I'm convinced she's a Comanche. Have a good day. And I will see you next time Mr. Stroud's History Class meets.